0: Leaders. We pose the problems of human beings in their relations with the world. Change. made this right here. You know it's a hit. Impact. Liberation is a practice of action, team upon the world. Welcome to the pedagogy the justice. of the obsessed. Listeners, we at Pedagogy of the Obsessed have taken a little hiatus as the semester was winding down. You can expect a couple of episodes this summer as we prepare for season three launching in the fall. This summer mini series is focusing on educators who are also authors. Why do they do it? How do they get it done while still working a full time job with kids? Today, my guest is Tina Owen Moore, the former lead teacher at the Alliance School in Wisconsin a high school with creating community without bullying at the core of its mission. She recently earned her doctorate from Harvard and has spent the past year working with Chicago Public Schools. Most importantly for today, she is the author of The Alliance Way, The Making of a Bully-Free School. The book tells the story and shares the values and principles that led to a truly unique learning community. Thanks for joining us as we jump right in with Tina's introduction. I'm Tina Owen Moore,
1: and I am the recent author of The Alliance Way, the Making of a Bully Free School. My path to the classroom, I think it's funny if any, if you asked any of my teachers if I would ever be a teacher, they'd probably die laughing because that was probably the last thing on my mind. I didn't even plan to go to college, but at some point when I was, You know, I had two kids and was doing daycare at home and realized, like, life is hard without a college degree, I decided to look up University in the phone book and go to the closest one to my house, (laughs) just because my counselors had said, maybe you'd want to go to college someday. Education was not big in my family or anything like that. My mom went to college at the same time as I did, so it wasn't like I knew people who had gone to college. And did Um,
0: she go to the one closest to her house, or?
1: (laughs) She did. I'm sure she did. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, so it wasn't something that I knew much about, but when I was in college, I did get in and I thought that I would be a lawyer because everybody said, You're smart, you should be a lawyer, and you like to argue. When I was studying, I met someone who was studying to be a teacher, and it just, I just knew it. I was like, That's what I have to be, I have to be a teacher. And I knew that what I wanted to do was make, to do it differently than what I had experienced. Most of my classes had been, you know, read the chapter, answer the questions at the end of the chapter, and turn it in and take a test at the end of the week. And I knew that it could be different, and I wanted it to be different, so I decided to teach.
0: I think one of the things that I think about is that, you know, there's, uh, what, our our children are always, uh, our, our greatest dreams envisioned. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and it sounds like that came true.
1: <laughs> it's true. It's true. So my daughter just finished her first year of law school uh-huh. and I'm so proud of her. Yeah, I don't think she had really thought about that path either. And she was going to doing her undergrad degree and just kind of Bouncing around between a million different things, but loved sociology. I told her, you know, if you do what you love, the, the paths will open. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be about, like, what's the best career or what's the best path. It's if you follow your heart, the, the right paths will open. And so she went ahead and was finishing up her sociology degree. And she came and visited me at Harvard. And when she was sitting in the classes with me, she said, I could do this. And she went back and said, I'm applying to law school. And she did it. It really is. It's neat to see her doing the thing that I thought that I would do. Mm -hmm. Um, And she is absolutely the right person for it. Right now she has an internship doing immigration law for the summer. And um, she's just really passionate about making the world better for people.
0: And and she got your your ability to argue, right? So, yes, she
1: always had that. Her favorite words were "No, I do it myself." When she was learning to talk,
0: well honed at home.
1: Yes, yes I also have. I, I imagine that would happen.
0: I have a future lawyer, I believe. At least I sure hope so, because otherwise, <laughs> it's either that or talk radio. A lot of people talk about writing books. A lot of people talk about having a book in them. You did it. And you did yeah. it while pursuing a doctoral degree and working your way towards a publication with that and, and writing that you have to do as part of that that process. Why'd you go through the strife? Why'd, why'd you write that book?
1: You know, it was, it was always something that I felt like we needed to share the practices that had worked. So when we were starting the Alliance School, we felt like it was kind of like we had this this vision based on research and based on what we knew from the classroom of what could work to make a school where bullying was not the norm, right? So we had this belief if we did these things, it wouldn't be the norm. And we did those things and it worked. We had this school culture that was amazing where students from all different groups and different backgrounds came together and it was a collaborative, love-filled learning community. I always felt like we needed to tell that story and and like capture those practices in a place where other people could could pick them up. And so I kind of collected stories here and there that had exemplified it along the way, thinking, you know, maybe I'll write a book someday. But I always also struggled with the idea of what right do I have to tell that story? Like this is everybody's story. Everybody did this work. The students did this work. The staff did this work. How do I tell that story and get credit for a story that belonged to so many? But along the path in our doctoral program with our executive coaching and everything, I was encouraged to ask the students and ask the staff what they thought. And when I went back to them, they said, Tina, you have to tell this story. nobody else can tell our story. You have to tell our story. And one of my teachers said to me, he said, when we, when any one of us has the ability to tell stories, tell the stories of groups that have been silenced, um, it's a moral obligation to share those stories. It really opened up that space to me and made me realize that we can't make schools different if we don't tell those stories. And there are people who want to know. So... It was, once I gave myself permission, it was just, it wasn't hard to write the book, to do the writing. It was just, I just felt gifted with the opportunity.
0: And one of the things that I I really appreciated in reading it was that, not only was that something that you wrestled with, that's not, I mean, it's a story that I've heard you share before as well, but it's written into the book. That part of your journey, that why, that struggle around who, whose voice yeah. is part of the narrative. And I found that so powerful and compelling because it like reading it and having it live in both spaces, right? Like it's telling the story of what happened, but it's also about that moment in which you were
1: mm-hmm. like
0: working through and making meaning of it. And, and like the fact that both of those play together throughout is, is probably one of my favorite parts of just, just the craft of, of how it's structured.
1: Thank you. It was really, I mean, it was almost the same, um, you know, the same struggle I had with what, you know, who am I to lead when I was starting the school, you know, it was that, yeah, this is, this belongs to all of us and such a, I really duly believe that there's nothing that we can do in schools or in life without the community. How do I make that everybody's story and everybody's wish? <laughs>
0: We we'll switch our gear just a little bit here. So early in the Alliance way, you share your belief that there's no throwaway work because mm-hmm. students are too powerful for that. Their ideas are too powerful. The things that they create need to be more important and can't just be, you know, put in a recycling bin or just graded by a teacher and put away. And as mm-hmm. I think about that sense of power and being powerful and, and making sure that your work isn't, isn't thrown away... How does that show up as, as you become a, an educator and an author? Like, what what power are you bringing to, to this new, new aspect of your work? You
1: really make me think about how I'm bringing voice to it as well. So I also always hesitate, like, I don't want to tweet too much or things like that because it feels like bragging. And at the same time, like, how do I make sure that this is a piece of work that actually helps schools to transform what they do. Like, how do I make sure that this book is not throwaway work, that it actually changes the experience of education for young people? Because for me, like, bullying is life or death. Like, addressing bullying is life or death. You know, every time I turn on the news, every time I I read the newspaper, there are stories of young people who have Tried to take their lives, or there are stories of percentage of students dropping out, or percentage of students reporting bullying. I just think that the one obligation that we have as adults is to protect our children, you know, to make sure that they're safe and that they're well cared for. You know, if we can't do that, then what else is all of this for? When I think about the work in that context and what it means to to really be an advocate for that work and to speak loudly for it, even when it's hard to speak. It really is about the idea of if we don't, it becomes throwaway work. I guess I have to give myself the same expectation that I gave to my students. I wouldn't allow them to do anything that they didn't put out there in the world and actually think about how they could transform their communities. So I need to hold myself to the same expectation.
0: It definitely had that effect on me, even as recently as this uh, past weekend. I was uh, chaperoning a school camping trip with a bunch of third and fourth graders. And I was in one of those positions as dad, where I was watching this conversation unfold with this group in front of me with some of these these young boys that it pushed the boundaries of is bullying. Like it was, you know, there was power dynamics involved. There was um hurtful language, there was homophobia, and there was just all that kind of wrapped in the moment. And it was one of those talents between like, you know, principal Adam, what I would do is clear. <laughs> Dad Adam yeah. is always not as clear. Uh, but I was thinking about your book and I and I stepped into the moment it was having a conversation with these boys. And I, I know that part of that was being inspired by by, by your book. So, um, and, and the message is around, what does it mean to step into other situations that it's, it's easier to do when you have a role in authority, right? But mm-hmm. when you have a role that might even make it harder, that's probably even where it's more important to be willing to, to, to have those conversations.
1: It well, means a lot to me, thank you. So,
0: and I'm and I'm sure many people who are reading it and when we're going to buy it and read it after this, uh, mm-hmm. will have similar experiences. It's it's a powerful piece. One of the real reasons as well that I think that, that we wanted to talk to you and the kind of the, the lens that we've had here at Pedagogy the Obsessed is is just this sense of teacher as author, educator as as author making that journey feel more possible to other people who are who are thinking similarly about how you share voice and story can you tell us about your publication journey like how did you go from this idea this book these scraps that you of of stories that you knew needed to be shared to publication like what were the highs and lows along the way
1: publication was a little bit hard I, I hadn't imagined myself as a writer or a publisher which is funny because I love writing, and I love teaching writing. I was an English teacher. I had my students write their life stories as part of my classroom. Um, it's It's been such an impactful part of my life in helping other people to tell their stories. But I was really, in this case, it was for our Sector change class that I had mentioned that I might like to write a book someday and someone my, my coach, my sector change coach, Carol, uh, said, well, well, I know an editor if you'd like me to connect you," And it just kind of opens that door for me. Um, and it kind of makes me think of the, the thing that, you know, women often don't run for office unless they're invited to, right? Mm-hmm. Like it takes that invitation. And, um, I think the same thing goes for writing. Like we often don't tend to think of ourselves there, but I, Think that if you think about how hungry we are to read other people's writing, like I don't know about every educator out there, but I imagine there are a lot of people who are like me who are just like, like your Twitter feed is full of education articles and you're reading everything that comes out of Education Week and you know you're listening to Pedagogy of the Obsessed and all it like you're just hungry for that knowledge and information because you know that it can impact your practice and you want to be doing what's right for kids. So I think if you think about it that way the invitation is already there and now that I have done it now I feel that like just the the the, like desire and joy to engage in that writing community more to be part of that intellectual conversation about teaching and learning and because we do we have a lot to share and learn Mm -hmm. from each other.
0: It sounds like it's not just the invitation but finding the, the, the power, as we were talking about earlier, to, to speak it. Mm-hmm. It's like, it wouldn't have happened if you hadn't spoke, spoke the desires.
1: Yeah. And I think, too, this idea, like, we think that you have to be an expert to write anything. And if you think about any, any great book or any great research that has changed things dramatically in education, it was also hotly contested right? There was debate around it. There was conversation around it. And, you know, it doesn't, you can, you can write things that are arguable and you may even argue with yourself and write a second edition someday. I think just like allowing yourself to, to have that permission to just write what's on your mind is a a blessing in itself.
0: What my understanding is that the, you know, the publishing journey has its highs and lows. What was was the emotional aspects of it all? Like, what were the, like, what were the victories along the way where, like, you were on top of the world? And, you know, what were the moments that brought back doubt? And am I really the one to do this?
1: There are times when you have to just write and and trust and then you all, there are times when you have to wait. So waiting for feedback on the different chapters, what does my editor think? What do the peer reviewers think? Like, is this You know, am I gonna get pushback on something? Like there's always that wondering. I think those times of waiting were often the hardest. There's also this sense of like completion and joy with each chapter that gets done, with each stage of the process, like seeing that the cover is ready or that there's an actual publication date. Like those things were so exciting and so surreal in so many ways. In this case, I was very lucky that right away the you know, I had a positive response, but I also know that there are rejections and ups and downs in the publication journey. Like there are some things that you're going to write something and it's going to be totally like, no, that's not okay. Like we we are not interested in that. And in writing articles and things like that, I've had those experiences too. And you just have to like, that's okay. You know, this is not the moment or the time or the right thing right now. You still got that thing out of you that you needed to say. There's something that's very fulfilling about saying the thing you want to say, even if it doesn't go anywhere.
0: Writing the Alliance way, how has it made you a better teacher and leader? Or how has it changed you as a teacher and leader?
1: I think that it has made me more confident of my own voice and it's funny, I've always been the person encouraging everybody else about their own power, their own voice to change things. I've always been the cheerleader from behind, but to actually stand in that place and to know that power in both like the good and the bad, like the the weight of that, right? Like. Knowing that your words are powerful can be scary and can be wonderful. Being able to stand in that space and see what I expect of others and to have my, that same expectation for myself has been really good for me because it's really given me the lens of what is possible.
0: As we like to say, it's, it's both filled and expanded the, uh, the the cup, right?
1: Yeah, Definitely.
0: Definitely in the alliance way you talk a lot about strategies and stories for and about teachers and students and Mm -hmm. I mean I've gotten the opportunity to see you present at book readings and I've seen that like parents come up to you wanting to know more about what they can do and what schools can do to address bullying. When you think about all the people who have this this work has resonated with. As you were writing it, who was your intended audience? The
1: book is primarily for school teams. Like I imagine school teams kind of reading it together. I describe it as a philosophical guidebook because it's not a step-by-step, this is how you do things. It's like, here is the philosophy that guided our practice. Here is the way we lived out that philosophy in practice. The school team would have the opportunity to think about if that philosophy was going to live in our space, what would our practice look like and, and develop their own practices? So it's really designed in a way that anybody could pick it up and it could impact their practice based on what they're reading. But I also wanted it to be if others read it, if, if parents read it, if adults who had experienced bullying read it, if students read it, that it could be hopeful. For them, In a way, there's a little bit of healing that happens for people who experience bullying where nothing was done, just in knowing that there's a space where somebody cared and did something about it. Because over the years since I started the school, I've gotten letters and emails from people all over the world that said, I wish there was a school like this. This was my experience. And thank you for what you're doing. In that sense, I wanted the book to also be like, give people this sense of hope that school could be different and that they could change things or that the experience didn't have to be that way for other children.
0: Mm -hmm. There was no way I was not bringing up the fact that your lovely wife, Velvet, makes an appearance (laughs) in this book. Um, and that she's in that chapter on extraordinary care, where you're really looking at those stories of physiological support for kids. And yeah. that whole chapter really lands on this idea of self-care. And the your journey towards your own self-care is a theme. Yeah. Um, and the, and the challenge that 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 was. And I'm just wondering, how how has Velvet been able to extend and, and play that role as well for you um, throughout this journey and throughout this process as, as it relates to self-care? Because these things don't happen without without the people who love us.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a really beautiful point because Velvet wasn't my wife uh, when we started the school. She was somebody I met along the way because of the school. And um, she was actually on the board for a local organization that had giving grants to our school. And so I was at a leadership event and she came up and introduced herself and, you know, this is who I am and this is how I've supported the school. And I was just like, wow, who are you and how come I haven't met you before? And then as a result, she she became involved in the school coaching basketball and really taking care of our, our children and of me in that space. And it was really her love for the children and just who she was as a person that I fell in love with. She really did, like she, she set some boundaries for me is in, in the fact that ways like, you know, I would work until I couldn't keep my eyes open anymore as a school leader. And I'm sure as a former school leader, you know how all consuming it can be. And, and she would just be like, no, I'm not going to be in relationship with someone that I don't get to see at the end of the day right? And so I had to set some healthy boundaries. And what I realized was that when I did the same amount of work still got done. I don't know how it happened. But somehow when I said at this time of day, self care begins, I put the work down, the same amount of work got done. And I just I was so much more healthy because of that that involvement in my life because of those boundaries because she was going to you know make sure i went to the doctor and things like that like just really helped me to embed routines into my life of self-care because she always said you know if you don't have you know if you don't love yourself how can you love anybody else
0: and and as you've made the jump to district level leadership here how's that been going how's 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 your self-care routines what's 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 keeping you whole
1: when I came in, the team was really good about saying to me, like, this healthy balance is something that we want to model and, and, you know, make part of the workplace here. So I've just really made sure that each day at lunchtime I step out, I walk around, I eat my lunch. You know, as a, as a teacher, I used to pack snacks that I could walk, eat while walking. And that uh-huh. would be the way I ate lunch <laughs> as a teacher, as a principal. Like I never actually sat down and ate a lunch. I carried things that were edible while you walk. So yeah, it would probably be still much harder as a as a principal to do that. But I've been trying to make that time to to stop and to eat and to say that's okay, right? It's okay to say no to people and say, Right now I'm going to eat and um Yeah, I'm still learning. I think that's always going to be my hardest, even on my leadership 360. Like my biggest area for growth was balance.
0: Whether it's telling the story, working on these pieces, take taking the leap to pursue your doctoral studies. Like there's this this continual theme of giving yourself permission to be great in service of others. And so as as you think about that next level of permission, what's next permission you're asking of yourself?
1: Probably I'm asking permission of myself. I'm like giving myself permission to want to lead Mm because it feels like I want to lead because I know that's the space that I can make things different and be of service to the people in the community. And But yet it seems so like egotistical to want to lead. And yet I know I, I want to lead because I know I'll be different as a leader. Like I will make sure that teachers are valued, that you know, that work days are reasonable, that that students have the resources they need, right? That that parents are supported. Like I will lead in a way that's good for people. And so I'm trying to give myself permission to want to lead so that I can be of service to others.
0: So one of the ways that you are certainly leading is now as a thought leader, particularly as it, as it relates to these, these issues of, of bullying. What tips do you have for aspiring, you know, educator authors?
1: We need you. Like, we need you in the conversation. Things don't change for children unless we, we, we speak up and we, we teach, right? Like, we're so good at teaching and we are the best people to teach and lead right? That's why we chose the classroom, because it's our love. It's our passion. It's like what we're good at. So why wouldn't we do it here, too? Why wouldn't we be the ones to teach educators? Why wouldn't we be the ones to impact education reform, you know, to study, to research, to do all of those things? Why wouldn't we be the ones to lead and be in these spaces?
0: So write, give yourself permission, and put it out there so that the opportunities can can connect.
1: Yeah, because we've all sat in enough really bad PDs and you know, had to read education textbooks in classrooms or in professional learning communities that just weren't what we needed at the moment. So just think if we could create the things that people need. There's just a need for more resources to support educators in the way we need to be supported.
0: In closing, would you be willing to read a favorite passage uh, from the Alliance Way or a passage that took you multiple tries to get right?
1: You know what? I think I want to read the the one about teaming mm-hmm. because I think this is one of my greatest joys is always in, in building teams and building those relationships. And I, I think that it's the thing that gets left out in this world of like high-stakes testing and all of this stuff, and yet I think it's the key. I have said, it is possible and important to build a team that can create the culture you want for your school. If relationships among students are at the heart of a school's culture, staff relationships are just as important as the relationships between students. At Alliance, we spent a lot of time and energy building our relationships as a staff, and because of this, we were a tight-knit group. This showed up in so many ways, whether it was covering classes for each other, celebrating weddings and important events, participating in staff retreats together, sharing meals at potlucks, babysitting for each other, taking care of each other through the hard times of life, and the list goes on. If our core belief for students was built around getting people to know each other well so they were more likely to support each other and less likely to do harm, then it made sense that it would also be our core belief for staff as the expectations of the environment are the same. I wanted to share that because it's really the heart of the work. Like relationships are the heart of every piece of the work, right? We know that relationships in the classroom make a difference when teachers and students have strong relationships. It it leads to better outcomes it it leads to everything. And yet the, the building the relationships between staff members You know, taking care of teachers, taking care of adults at the central office level. It's so absent from the work and yet so core to all of the outcomes that we hope to achieve. So, if I can share just a little bit of that, if we can like shift our thinking around how we take care of adults, it can shift our thinking around everything. Build the team, let them do it. It's gonna be fun.
0: I think that's a beautiful place to end. Build the team, let them do it. It's going to be fun. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for speaking with me today and, and sharing so much both about your, your journey as a, as a leader, as an author, um, as an advocate for kids and teachers and the relationships that are the core of this work.
1: Thank you. And it's always been a a privilege and just a joy to work with you in every part of of the work. So thank you for being an advocate for young people and for adults as well.
0: We pose the problems of human beings in their relations with the world. Knowledge emerges only through invention and reinvention, through the restless and patient-continuing, hopeful inquiry human beings pursue in the world, with the world, and with each other. The solution is not to integrate them into the structure of oppression, but to transform that structure so that they become beings for themselves. Liberation is a practice of action and reflection on the world.